probably seen the, the cheeky grin on my little girl's face when I get back in is uh, probably worth it too. As she says, have you done your recovery drink, mum? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt Rogan and this is the Playbook Podcast where leaders from inside and outside sport share pragmatic advice for leading and managing through these changing times. Rather than look at a single area today, I thought it'd be interesting to take a look across the expansive responsibilities of a business leader, in particular one who's leading a business in a fast growth sector and managing to juggle all the priorities in front of them. My guest to do that is Emma Barraclough, who leads elite sports nutrition company Blue Fuel within Chelsea Digital Ventures. Chelsea Digital Ventures is, to use its own words, a digital first consumer product business spun out from English Premier League club Chelsea. Blue Fuel was launched in June 2020, just 18 months ago. And if I think about the two circles journey 18 months in, it was a fun but really lively time for a business juggling lots of conversations which are really pivotal to the future of our business with the need, of course, still to be able to mend the photocopier and do it pretty quickly when you've got a pitch in five minutes' time. From launching during a pandemic to scaling both a B2B and B2C business simultaneously, I found this a really interesting look at a fast-growth business and a really candid reflection on the highs and lows of leading and juggling those priorities, including, of course, the need to still be out on the weekend feeding the ducks with your young daughter. In that context, I hope you really enjoy it. Well, hi there. Thanks for coming on, Emma. Hi, Matt. No, it's good to meet you. So um, I was wondering about where the best place to start might be. And um, I thought... Um, we might start with just understanding a little bit about products, so a little bit about Blue Fuel, if that's okay. Um, yeah, of course. And yeah. then we'll sort of get into how you came to, to be there, how you came to lead the <laughs> business. Um, can you give us just a, just a little bit of context on on not only what the product is, but, but how it came to be? Sure. So um, Blue Fuel is part of a venture group that was a spin out of Chelsea Football Club itself. So uh, we sit under the title of Chelsea Digital Ventures. And the whole notion really was about trying to take some of the knowledge, IP, understanding within the club across kind of health and fitness in sort of different categories, marrying up with sort of digital expertise or sort of expertise in different product areas to bring something through to um, what could be interesting commercially for consumers more broadly, really. Um, So that's covered all sorts of things to date. There's some that have been out live that um, people can read about in terms of sort of football coaching apps, um, looking at health profiling and kind of sort of health risk management um, and then ours is obviously a sort of sports nutrition focus so um, that's really what the, the blue fuel product is all about it's trying to take some of that expertise and sort of practices that we have from within the club um, yeah really try and bring that through into something consumer facing in a sort of physical product sense and a, a digital offering as well. So what does that look like is that sort of energy gels and powders and stuff what, what does the product range look like for those listening in? 
Yeah, so the physical product range would be things that you would recognise typically. So um, we, we talk about catering for the different need states of players. So yeah, absolutely. Energy is one of those areas. So we've actually done energy gummies and not gels. Um, gels really suit the endurance sort of sports really, really well when you've got that need to fuel on the go. But for team sport players, you've got the opportunity to sit down, fuel, you know, really take it on board. And quite honestly, if we can give a player something to eat, they're much more likely to stick to a nutrition plan than they are kind of drinking something that they're not quite so keen on so um yeah we went with energy gummies for that reason um we do hydration powder sachets so these are sort of low carb but sort of high in all the electrolyte profile that you'd expect to have in a hydration drink so that's uh, stuff that gets mixed into the the team bottles protein bars we've done an offering in and then the sort of yeah whey powders and recovery powders where you get the higher carb and the protein offerings as well so we're trying to look after yeah that kind of before during after sort of set of needs really and then on the app side that's basically trying to do the role that the nutritionist does at the club so um that the blue fuel app lets you uh, log in your training sessions so you can input what your week looks like so if you've got gym sessions sort of aerobics sort of you know if you're going on a run or a bike ride and then any match days it will give you the product rec- recommendations obviously that fit with blue fuel but we developed a whole suite of recipes as well so if you need high carb kind of loading up days you'll get those sort of recommended the day before a match and on match day and then on your recovery days you get that tapering down of the actual total energy but protein level comes up and that kind of thing Um, but then if you add or delete things from your calendar it will keep recalculating basically it's quite a a strong algorithm in there so how does that work in terms of uh its relationship commercially so is that something that anyone can access is that something that comes with a subscription to the product you know how does that work yeah we were looking at this as a subscription business initially um but yeah i think last 18 months aside even in those tricky conditions a subscription is quite a probably a difficult model to launch within a sector where it's not that familiar um so at the moment the app is free to use and, and download um and then yeah products you can go online and yeah, either buy direct from bluefuel.com or, or from amazon at the moment um so yeah in time we'd like to develop it so sort of one-to-one support and more nutritional coaching becomes part of the app um, but yeah we're, we're not quite there yet in terms of the pipeline on development for that one how does that relate to your customer base currently is it very much a sort of a b2c product or is there also a market for you in terms of the sort of b2b supplying to top level teams and next levels down who who need to get their heads around this space more coherently and consistently yeah certainly the the intention at launch was very much is it's b2c so um yeah so people can drop into that without having to be part of a club setup um but we we do have b2b relationships as well where we're supplying into other football clubs and and more broadly actually as well so um yeah the the product is being used in uh, rugby and hockey teams and things as well so far so how do you find yourself leading a business in this space <laughs> so, um, so, so I, I guess what, what, what brings you here have you always been have you got a science background have you got a commercial fmcg background or both or uh, it was yeah it was sort of science and very sort of practitioner led at first so yeah the kind of first seven to eight years of my career um, I was actually based in a sort of physiotherapy center and we um, yeah, looked after lots of sort of local rugby league teams, football teams, ice hockey, bizarrely, um, which is a bit of a random one. Um, and yeah, so I, I 
sort of sports science was my sort of education background um, and then yeah nutrition became my kind of strong passion I guess personally as well I became a bit of an endurance junkie getting into running marathons and did quite a few Ironman triathlons that sort of thing so that kind of real need to understand that personally I guess drove that sort of professional interest as well so yeah it became about uh, sort of nutrition um, and then yeah I, I took a first sort of I guess more commercial job um, when Lucas Aid was still part of GSK and would do sort of support events or for some of their sponsored athletes and and that kind of thing and then I kind of gradually got more and more into that sort of brand world so it was kind of really communicating some of that science first really for the brands and then yeah if you get into doing new product developments and sort of working with teams and looking at how you might change things and improve things that that was kind of what brought me into I guess the commercial side sort of more and more um so I did a few years at science in sport um so very much a endurance focused brand well yeah as you saw mentioned energy gels and things that's you know very much their kind of specialism yeah I'm managing my endurance junkie Ironman background as well although we could go off on a, <laughs> a 20 minute tangent here very easily so let's try to stay on the stay on the focus so yeah and then um yeah, I had one of those sort of LinkedIn approaches where you go, really, is this for real? <laughs> to come and look at this as a project, say, as a spin out from from Chelsea. And then, yeah, here we are kind of two and a half, three years later, nearly. So. And what was the, what's been the biggest change for you sort of stepping up to, to lead this product now, having been sort of as part of maybe bigger teams, but part of the team as opposed to the leader of the team um, now? Has that been as a transition? Yeah, I think it's the um the kind of the the really diversified sort of specialisms in this role is quite really quite different and quite challenging. So yeah, you don't have I guess that kind of sort of depth of the team all the way down to sort of, you know, like the people that are just on the ground kind of doing it. Everybody's almost an expert in their own areas. So it's kind of leading a team of mid seniors across everything from nutrition and science through to design and then kind of digital app building is is something really quite different so um, yeah it's yeah it's been fun but uh yeah I mean you're still doing the same role in trying you, you're trying to have that collective understanding of what are each other's different parts and why is that so important and the knock-on to each other within the project I guess is still the crux of it um but yeah I guess the the, the leadership but is probably very much about the empathy understanding each other's area and then that kind of yeah the democracy in it as opposed to uh, anything a bit more dictatorial for sure it's really interesting isn't it I mean I th- if I think back to my um, my time leading two circles so leading teams of developers and technicians and higher then you know analysts of highly scientific rational background and then those people who you know, probably more right brain and creative and looking to take the intelligence and turn that into empathy and great customer narratives for, for fans. And yeah, they're very different types of people, very different drivers. Um, and being able to sort of work with them as independent units and bring them together against a common goal is, is, is not easy. Um, is a love of football consistent across them or is, is, is that, uh, you know, not part of the jigsaw puzzle? Not football specifically. I think health and fitness would be so, and yeah, it wouldn't be uncommon to see uh, people arrive in the office in yeah, different sets of kit for you know however you've made your commute that day, or um, yeah, try and steal out to the gym on a lunchtime or something. So I think that that passion for sort of health and fitness 
certainly is is probably there um, football a little bit less so um, but then it's surprising what, what you do get into once people maybe can access some of like the kind of level of football that we see through Chelsea and say like the opening up of the women's game and things like that you, you yeah people that might not have expected to go on to things certainly start to so that's that's been quite interesting so what does a day in the life look like so you're you're leading a, a team where one minute somebody wants to tell you about I imagine about a uh, a new mix or a new product um, then you've got Amazon figures probably and then you've got a team meeting, then you've got some finance and you've got some marketing, you know, how do you, how do you divvy up your time in a way that, that makes sense for you? Yeah, it is really diverse and certainly through the build up and the kind of development side of it. Yeah. You could be doing factory visits, like say going up to our app developers up in Manchester, going down to the training ground and doing sort of taste tests sort of blind stuff at, at Cobham um to then yeah like say coming back and reporting at the bridge sort of financially and trying to yeah reassure everybody that this is on track and it's not a completely bonkers idea so <laughs> 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 was uh yeah got, got quite an interesting mix I guess it some of it's a little bit kind of sort of works through on on cycles really so you know we go through periods of sort of pitching for the next round of sort of funding and approval to push on so that requires a lot more time on that sort of planning and, and sort of business financial side um at the moment obviously we've got sort of a set of products in market that we probably won't look to change too readily in the next few months so that side then sort of drops away a little bit um i mean things like marketing and promotion is is always there obviously that 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 doesn't really go away and yeah with that very much kind of nature of sort of you know weekend to weekend obviously yeah several times in the week as well you've got opportunities to tie in with the team and sort of use that as a calendar so um yeah it's you know trying to keep that balance across there I mean we're lucky we do have a a CDV sort of management team that sort of sits core of the other projects within the group so you know we we do get some of that shielding so you know we have an accountant on there we have our sort of director who goes directly into the club chief exec and, and reports so week to week that's not as demanding as it could be but it's certainly on the kind of monthly board reports and some of the more strategic stuff we'd get pulled into. And I guess is it you, you mentioned the the sort of funding and fundraising and uh, and things. Uh, and my understanding is it's sort of you're part of ultimately part of the same main shoulder shareholder at Chelsea's sort of investment in in the club and where it moves forward. Is is it an interesting? conversation to have with a I guess something like a football club that's planning is is maybe one two three years at most out um, a lot of the time uh, uh, sort of an FMCG product where you know maturation might be five six seven years out is that is that a different conversation to them and a bit strange for them to have that it is yeah um I mean the there's some hugely experienced people that have worked on you know Big, big big commercial brands but not in fmcg so um so yeah and certainly not new startup fmcg which yeah is not an appreciating is something entirely different and and yeah sort of how how brand awareness is then suddenly a challenge where you're in an entity where of course everybody's had a chelsea football club whether you're you know a football fan or, or otherwise so um and some of the assumptions that are made off the back of that and, and things like that are, are obviously sort of quite quite challenging. How, how do you manage the, because I guess when we were fairly fortunate in the sense that um, when Gareth and I were in the on really entrepreneurial early stages at, at Two Circles, you know, we um, we only really had to um, 
had to answer to my wife Claire, who was our CFO, <laughs> uh, which was which was scary at times. But but we could be pretty agile and pretty entrepreneurial. And you know, it took a half an hour call in order for us to decide to do something that wasn't on the business plan at all. But we just felt right at the time. You know, how do you how, how do you manage that that sort of need and desire to be really super entrepreneurial as a fast growth business in a fast moving category? but also stick to the knitting and, and deliver on the plan you promised to your stakeholders. You know, how, do you, how do you balance that and how do you talk that into your teams? I guess we're quite fortunate in when it comes to the actual product areas, we do have a lot of trust in, you know, we were hired as experts in the area. Um, so, yeah, as I guess as long as it, there's probably a sort of bandwidth that they're comfortable in operating. Um, and I think when we started, to be fair, it's probably different now to when we first started this FMYM back kind of 18 months and the concern of, you know, what was the public projection of this outside? How did it represent the football club? It all needed to be under that narrative and things. I think the the trust has kind of grown and we've probably been able to educate sort of products wise and, and like you say, more in that FMCG mentality a little bit as as we've gone along um, has, has probably helped. But yeah, from managing the team point of view, you can easily kind of get a bit lost and a bit frustrated that you can't move as quickly as you would like to or you would normally on a project like this so yeah that that has kind of yeah probably fallen on yeah sort of product owner and and then yeah like I say our sort of CDV management to try and just temper that a little bit. So I guess one of the advantages you might have over other FMCG brands more traditional brands in your space that also have a sort of a, a traditional retail distribution is is all of yours is digitally distributed and you're in control of all your B2C marketing yourselves. And uh, and that must give you loads of live feedback in the moment, does it? And and so um how 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 regularly are you sort of iterating and managing your your B2C marketing to to capture when, for example, Chelsea play well abroad or you get some great product placement in the in the shots or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, literally, we, yeah, we can do that on a, a daily basis. And, and as you say, the the beauty of the Amazon marketplace to some degree is that you can yeah, manipulate advertising and spend and sort of what you promote and what you don't promote sort of every day. You can equally get really lost in that as well. Um, and yeah, the beauty of the algorithm is you'll never work it backwards. <laughs> what you think might be uh, successful in one play might not be. Um, yes, the, the, the ideal is probably a sort of, some, somewhere in between whilst you're not absolutely getting lost in sort of marketing metrics on Amazon every day to something that would be like a six-month cycle in a retail environment. What type of a, of a financial leader are you? Um, so are you somebody who is kind of looking, you got a rough idea where the business should be by the end of the week and you're checking in a couple of times a day to see where you are on a very micro basis? Uh, which I perhaps <laughs> um, am a little bit with something like my book through Amazon, also trying to post-rationalize the algorithm, failing dramatically, and but and still sort of slightly hung up on the sales numbers as a result, <laughs> the chart numbers as a result. Or, or are you more sort of, right, this is where we need to be at the end of the year, you know, weekly performance or monthly performance gives me a guide, but really I'm, I, I can, I'm comfortable taking a longer view yeah, I think we will be in time. We're probably not quite there yet. It's still a bit too early for us to be, um, yeah, looking 
two foot so yeah it is certainly a, a, a daily look and as you yeah, have that kind of where we're looking towards the end of the month and the next board pack that needs to go off um that's yeah that's certainly prevalent because really for all we, we launched in july last year we tried to sort of yeah we probably spent way ahead of ourselves in terms of sort of brand awareness and things like that for a couple of months but it became quite clear quite quickly that it it just wasn't working you know the market wasn't ready we didn't have spot back in enough um sort of states really at that participation level for it really to sort of pull through so we've only really ramped sort of spend and pushed the marketing out strongly since sort of march april this year as things were genuinely reopening it felt like um so we don't have was you know sort of what six months plus sort of post past that so um yeah it's still it's it's all going in the right direction but it's still yeah you want all the little steps and the little wins all the time to to make sure you are on the right track still absolutely and it's, it's a very different business isn't it you know i mean some of the organizations that i've tried to help in the last couple of years have been in a not dissimilar spaces and just the PL looks and feels completely different to the PL of running a running a sports agency you know the margins are tighter um it's more competitive uh, a lot of your cost lines are totally different. So you might have innovation R&D and, and hard product costs compared to big salary bills that, that we were sort of managing. So what would you, is there anything that you found, what, what have you found most challenging in terms of the, the overall business model for launching a new FMCG product? You know, is it about the upfront costs? that you need to absorb in terms of R&D and things before there's a, there's a penny coming in the door? You know, what, what are the what are the macro finance stuff that you, you found most challenging? I think actually explaining kind of development costs, stock costs and things, even to financiers who aren't necessarily used to that in their day-to-day yes, yeah. is actually quite sort of tangible. Um, I think just to find some of the marketing costs is probably harder because um, it's, yeah, the direct relate, you know, you know, if you spend X amount, I have X amount of units, this is the margin, this is what we'll sell it for. Okay, it might be sat there for so many months in storage until it goes out the door. But that, you know, it's, it's sunk cost, but it's quite, quite sort of measurable, um, kind of spending ahead of kind of brand awareness and developing that and pushing something out when some could be sat there going, well, well, we're Chelsea. Everybody knows we're Chelsea. And that, yes, but Blue Fuel is a completely different thing and it's completely new for the club. And that that has probably taken a, a little bit longer and has been sort of harder to to push through. Um, and there was certainly barriers there. There was kind of, you know, views on what sort of level of agencies we should be working with. Because, um, yeah, you know, you can kind of toast bank notes very easily on some bigger plays where it wasn't necessarily maybe the right fit for an FMCG startup, but there's almost that reassurance that comes with a bigger agency that you think, oh, well, this, this must be better. Um, so, yeah, probably lots in that area really were probably some of the bigger challenges. And in terms of the, the marketing and the brand piece, to what extent can, I'm imagining the, the Chelsea brand, and I say this is a Chelsea sporter, I imagine the Chelsea brand can be, hugely powerful in some places can it be a, a bit of a uh, a challenge in some others when you know mason mount is an unbelievable um force of nature a bundle of energy all over the pitch at 90 minutes probably the best band ambassador you could have on one level and another level he does wear a blue shirt every week um so how does that work yeah it was always something we were very conscious of um as you say it can absolutely be our biggest asset you know 
huge immediate audience but um yeah but we would challenge ourselves with questions of is it that relevant for this audience though so how many are sports participants as well as fans what about the reach into other sports that gender mix um yeah that, that, that was always kind of quite a concern and as you say if you ordinarily wear a red shirt week in week out are you automatically just not going to go near something because you know sort of where it comes from and that, that was something yeah we spent quite a lot in doing sort of customer research and focus groups on to really trying to sort of drill into that and and question it um to, to be honest in truth we never had the verbatims come out that it really genuinely put somebody off I think that the most negative we got to was well I'm not really convinced is this just a kind of franchise licensed product um but it can't be all bad and then we we've got the other bits in place so you know everything is informal sport tested so it's all you know tested for banned substances you have to hit certain quality marks to kind of get that kind of accreditation so it's kind of an okay tick in the box but I'm still sort of reassured as to what the product's offering was the sort of most negative sort of points that we'd get to I guess. Yeah that that, that makes sense I got way back when I remember the early launch marketing for LucasAid and LucasAid Sport, I think, had John Barnes as a his did, Liverpool yeah. <laughs> kit all over it, and that never stopped me trying it as a as a Chelsea fan. So maybe the the reverse is true. And you know, if you if you normally prefer watching people with the blue shirt on, then I could cope with a with somebody with a red shirt on. So maybe the reverse is true. You, you touched a couple of times on on the opportunity for Chelsea's women's team, which is you know you have two teams who made Champions League finals last year just talk quite broadly about that so so how do you how do you view the consumption of this kind of product by a female participant in sport and therefore how do you think about um the product as it exists today and how, how that might change and evolve to reflect the market for, for female consumption yeah i mean the the actual products themselves um that need to change hugely sort of you know macronutrient wise we all eat and consume the same things you know we need carbohydrate for energy we need protein etc sort of portion sizes timing training demands are, are all certainly things that to look at um and that's you know a good line for development from an app point of view um moving forward the the Chelsea women's team would sort of um fame for starting to look at this in terms of sort of menstrual cycle tracking and that they've been using an app for a couple of years um to really look at that and sort of training load and intensity and an injury risk. So I think there's a really rich line of potential development there for sure. If we can start to marry some of that together. Um, Cause yeah, I don't, I don't think the understanding is or the science research depth hasn't been there back in the women's game um, in, in quite the same way, but it's certainly coming through. It's, it's good. And like you say, the, the success and the sport is growing commercially at the same time as well so sort of as you know tv rights and things are bringing in more and more cash to it and it's yeah it should only help in terms of that growth and development so as opposed to just being able to provide for the the plays in terms you know sort of matches and pitch settings some of our we're almost a bit of a secondary discipline in nutrition as in terms of bringing some of those extra services in um so you know you would have had full-time nutritionists in a men's team that's not been there in the women's game to the same extent, but that is sort of starting to catch up and, and come through much more. And, and how does that marry up to the commercial opportunity you see? So do you have any sense of what percentage of your customers are, are female today and how that might evolve over time? Yeah, for me, it's 
probably lower than obviously using all the club marketing you end up with a more male dominated audience so we're probably 70 30 at the moment um but yeah i'd, I'd like to think that that could certainly equal up as we go through and and, and all through the the kind of the research and um, stuff we were doing on the brand and even calling it you know blue fuel we were sort of concerned does that automatically put you in a mailbox or sort of something like that and um, th- there should be the potential for it to be there as you go wider into different sports and health and fitness and, and things as well so especially somewhat like a hockey I guess where you know which which, which originally is uh, pretty much always has been a very gender balanced sport in terms of the performance level and mainstream participation absolutely yeah no, for sure. Do you, do you notice different consumption of the product and therefore need to, to reflect that in your marketing by age? So, you know, I noticed my son, um, who's 14 now, very focused on and, and has um, some understanding of how strength and conditioning and good recovery and things can help his sport and put the clock back 30 years to when it well, more than 30 years when I was his age, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, you know, it was it was um, half an orange at, at half time, if we were lucky and we remembered to get some oranges, somebody in the side. And, you know, a lemonade, let's be, um, <laughs> stay the right, stay, yeah, let's stay the right side <laughs> of the line. And a lemonade after the game, um, which, which is probably the worst thing you can have. So um, do you notice the, that or do you believe that the age of consumption of products like this is, is going to get lower to reflect that and and does your marketing change to hit different segments by by age uh, i think consumption certainly has i think the broad understanding of sort of protein its function in the diet and like you say that that tie into um strength and conditioning and sort of even just gym work outside of any main sort of team sport is is certainly something that's moved along and and you've seen protein go into obviously the broader food categories as well in recent years you know the growth in sort of protein bars it's become about healthy snacking as opposed to out and out sports nutrition um so i think i think it probably has i think it i think the focus changes with the older participants so you've got more interest than actually you know the energy levels aren't quite as good as they used to be the recovery becomes much more important um you know things like the vitamin mineral profile of something in a recovery shake is probably sparking more interest in a 35 year old player than it is a 25 year old player for instance um so i I think it does change in terms of our marketing um there's still a bit of social responsibility with that. If you remember back to the days of, you know, Lucas A. Detal getting, you know, quite heavily beaten with marketing for under 16. So I think we, we do need to be careful there in, um, in sort of how we position it. So they're not groups we would directly target. Um, I, I think that's one of the great things with the app. And, and we've actually done that with the academy guys, and certainly in the older teams, is you can educate on that food first approach. And there's so much you can do in the diet around matches and training. And the supplements are really there to sort of top up that top 10%. There's an awful lot of foundations to get right first. So I, th- I think that's a, a really positive kind of line to use with them. And, and so certainly a lot of those boys were sort of trying it um, in our early days, sort of development wise, which was good to see. So you're growing a, um, a fascinating business that has B2B and B2C angles um, that integrates product and a, a sort of technology customer loyalty play in a really interesting way, all sorts going on. 
how do you understand or how do you think about the amount of boring stuff <laughs> structure and governance and process and all the things an investor will maybe kind of tap you on the shoulder about a little bit um how much is isn't just enough and how much is too much in a business like yours because you know i'm guessing average technologist or scientist isn't that interested in some of the the stuff that that actually keeps the business running underneath I think that'd be fair to say, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, and in terms, of, yeah, back to that question, sort of management of the team. I yeah, think that's yeah. probably yeah. You you free them up to let them deliver what they do really, really well, um, and make sure that other stuff is looked after elsewhere. Um, you know, we can use some of those services within the club, which has been helpful. So largely, um, you know, things like you know legal team support and. Um, as you say, some of that kind of procurement finance part, whilst some of it might not be the quickest route to get something done, there are experts there in those areas that, that we can lean into and, and use, which is helpful because, yeah, like I say, the worst thing you can do to a creative is weigh them down in some sort of process or, um, yeah, it's just, so, yeah, things sort of internally where process sort of suited some of those sort of specialists so for like the app developers yeah they would very much run to kind of agile scrum two-week processes you know this is the goal this is what we're trying to deliver this is the user story that's a chunk of work um whilst for some of the either you know the creators and the designers you know they don't need to be in that or a stage gate or decision point or whatever thing you want to put on the calendar really it's yeah can we get the right people in the room with the right information to then make a decision and, and push on it's interesting, isn't it, when you when you pull down on resource from HQ. I, I mean, so from a two circles perspective, I always remember going in to see legal or HR or finance or one of the one of the big functions in WPP, and, and you sort of have to steal yourself because you know, you know, they've got two hundred agencies to worry about in their case. You know, and from a Chelsea HQ perspective, they've got a global sports team to sure we're tiny we're sort yeah, of to, not, ex yeah. exactly and and you kind of going to say they're, they're going to be slower um and they're probably going to sell me some things that are going to annoy me a bit in terms of <laughs> the next level of process or discipline or or, or th things but what i need to remember is is that, that some of what they're going to say is is a little bit like you know trying to get some feedback from from your parents on a bit of homework you've done or something you know it's you know it's going to niggle a bit but you also know there's going to be some absolute gems in there that are the foundations you need for the next stage of the business so you, you sort of have to you have to sift it a little bit for the stage of the business you actually are but recognize that that sometimes you do need foundations that are slightly bigger than the size of business you are today if you want to grow quickly that's it, and give you that bit of protection as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's all those elements to it, and yeah, obviously the the club have you know big partnerships you know away from us that they need to mind at the same time as well. So there's commercial sensitivities that we wouldn't necessarily be aware of down in our little CDV bubble. So um, yeah, like you say, it's kind of yeah, almost going in, taking a big breath and going, okay, I'll absorb. <laughs> absorb this and then try and yeah make as positive use of it as we can yeah <laughs> as best you can yeah so do you get a chance to work with um the other businesses in the cdv group because there's some obvious parallels and opportunities i would have thought yeah we're, we're all quite a, a close-knit group and we've you know we practically you know we've shared resources and things as we've gone along if 
you know, there's a bit of design overspill or something like that. Or, yeah, some of the, the app development on certain projects has been a lot more, say, video heavy than we have and that kind of thing. So um, as we sort of mentioned, that they're all sort of engaged in that health and fitness space. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of sort of parallels. Um, audiences are probably quite different. So our sort of end user target is probably one of the main differences. There's presumably a lot you can pick up as well from the other product owners just in terms of how they're doing things. So, you know, it was a little network of, of MDs of, of sports agencies, of, you know, who, who obviously sometimes compete against each other, but also get together and go, how do you actually do your funnel management or recruitment or, you know, office, like where, where, where's good cheap office space at the moment? I guess in your, you don't need to worry about office space because you're, but, but there's so much richness from from NDs and kind of put the competition down and just chat to each other. Definitely. Um, and to be honest, I'm kind of the oddity in the group coming from a food FMCG background. Most of the other guys are quite digitally led, you know, they're gaming or, you know, that that sort of space. So, um, That's a benefit though. Oh, it's massively, yeah. It's hugely interesting. Um, absolutely. How do you handle the sort of coming into that world and, and getting your head around that world, you know, because there's people who are joining sport from um, all sorts of different walks of life at the moment who are having to get their head around. They might be digitally native, but they might be having to get their head around sport for the first time or the performance on pitch performance science side for the first time um, or venue and event management for the first time. You know, how do you learn? How did you pick it up quickly and, and run with it? I do think just taking that time to listen and maybe go on the second conversation, not necessarily what they tell you first, is always a kind of a good filter. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good way of looking at it. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, what they actually go on to repeat. or So there's all, you get presented with the what are they supposed to say or what's the official tagline kind of thing first, and then you might get into the how does this actually work then, what's really important to them, what are the barriers, does that, yeah, because all the time you're sat on the other side going, okay, well, how do I best serve you so I can get what I need out of you kind of thing? And that's, you know, true for us in trying to tap into the, the different pots within the club. So how do we get the best relationship with marketing? How can we have a smoother procurement process as possible? All, all those things. It doesn't surprise me that you're that observant and thinking that way, though, because you have, I've rarely found anyone on on LinkedIn who's had so many learning experiences alongside their careers so you've got various degrees and extended courses and things you and MSCs and things you, you've been through imagining now with with a family and a business it's slightly more challenging to, to, <laughs> to, to, to be doing a, a PhD on the quiet or something yeah that's not happening I can <laughs> now yet no so, so how do you in in what little time you have, how do you make sure as a as a leader of a business that you can keep learning? No, how do you learn? Yeah, I think um, yeah, pre-COVID things like just being out there and whether that was sort of trade shows, being aware in different sectors, um, yeah, what are some of the the bigger trends? So you know, for sports nutrition, you you always look at well, what's going on in food, but then actually, what's going on in retail more broadly, or what's the next interest in e-commerce piece? coming in because obviously our sector has been massively shaken up by you know the growth and the depth in the big online players now um and and even they've changed quite a lot in recent years you know there used to be a kind of cheap big volume 
just almost convenient providers, but you know, they, they do come through with, you know, good product quality now and, you know, the choice and variation is just enormous. So yeah, I think it's being broad enough to look outside of your own box a lot still. Um, probably not being scared or put off if I don't understand an area. So I say coming into this very sort of digitally heavy world, it'd be easy to sort of sit there quietly, not ask and let those guys kind of run away with something. But um, yeah, sort of probably being brave enough or daft enough to put your hand up and go, sorry, I don't understand that. Can you explain why we do that then? Or why is that better than what we spoke about last week or or something? That's probably one. I think that's massive, actually, in terms of one of the reasons we set this this podcast up was because there are still large swathes of, of senior leaders in the sports industry who are afraid to ask, certainly are afraid to ask in front of peers. And, you know, hopefully whilst they get over that, the assets like this, just a chance to listen in to other people and how they go through stuff is important. But ultimately, you can't be at the point of confusion, sticking your hand up and go, say what <laughs> yeah run that, run that by me again as a as a immediate source of learning yeah and that's what's been great about our cdv group to, to be honest that's a very kind of yeah open balanced thing without without judgment to sort of they say bounce off the different product owners the different areas and try and get that understanding um because for them somebody who's been a practitioner and has actually been in the field is something different as well as opposed to yeah whatever gaming launch or you know huge projects they've they, they've been on it it is different how do you handle the bad days <sighs> try and get out for a run probably uh, try yeah the exercise part is is still there and uh, as you say yeah work life and family is a bit bigger than being able to go off and dedicate loads of time to doing an Ironman at the moment but um but yeah that's that's still there and yeah Probably seeing the, the cheeky grin on my little girl's face when I get back in is uh, probably worth it too. Well, as she says, have you done your recovery drink, mum? <laughs> <laughs> it was quite, yeah, little moment. So we were feeding the ducks at the weekend and uh, her dad was throwing the stuff in the end. She sort of, I was looking at her on the ground, looking at the duck and then turned around and this pigeon had sort of flown head height at me. And she just, <laughs> I'm going, whoa, and she just burst out laughing. <laughs> Nothing unprompted. So you think, yeah, the, that's quite funny that's it does help you realize that you know setting work in context in particular when you work in this crazy little bubble of sport that happens seven days a week is is so important and you have to make it happen for yourself there's nobody there that's gonna that's gonna tell you you can't work on the down day or when there's an international break which might be your time to get a couple of of quieter days you've got to make it happen for yourself you do I think when I was younger as well I'd have taken things like really personally as well if you yeah, were, it rings a bell yeah <laughs> yeah you know where it's sort of you think you've come in with this great big new idea and get absolutely torn to pieces on it it's not taking that home or worried about it you know it was something you did or something there'll be drivers behind it that could be you know very very valid but it's um yeah it's not a personal attack on you I think that was a big learning from early on yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the, how do you try and create that or reinforce that culture of asking questions when you're not sure, putting your hand up, uh, not being judgmental? How do you try and drive that through the team? Can you, or is it just about role modeling? Yeah, I think it is, like you say, probably just role modeling that to a degree. So I'll be the one to put my hand up and ask a daft question, or seemingly. Um, and then, yeah, making the environment, you know, a sort of safe place to to do that so you know nobody's called out for that or 
you know, we're sort of reassured or, yeah, it's sometimes as well that there's a lot of assumption on the club side that we know their best way of working and, yeah, we do have to go, actually, can you help us to, yeah, what's the most relevant content for you or how do you need this presenting in, in the best way um, because we don't know that. it's that's a that's a great example actually and something i was guilty of not doing in those wpp conversations was you know because they might have been in sort of ivory tower offices or looking after hundreds of millions of pounds on a weekly basis um they might assume that i knew exactly how um how to best get the most out of them and the truth is i didn't have a clue but i also didn't ask them yeah yeah it was something we definitely learned early on in that sort of launch process with the club and like you say how do we use this amazing asset but at the same time and what have you learned about to that point getting the most out of the most amazing asset you have to use the the players what, what's been the key to to making the most of of those as a as a group of individuals uh, I think it's yeah I mean for us even sort of early on learning the best routes to sort of access schedule things um was that there's some like just like core basics to kind of learn um but then also the individuals around them so so we might have you know a great relationship with the nutritionist at Cobham but if they're at an away match in Europe they don't necessarily travel so who's the right person then to be helping set up the drinks or even you know who's doing the photography in the dressing room so we get the right shots that we need for content all those kind of things um yeah that kind of broader look around the club as and nobody else really knows that because nobody else quite has the same function that that we do so um there's been a lot of sort of learning in that as to yeah there's there's the players and the assets and but who are the really key people around that might not be actually who you think they are like there's an amazing logistics guy down at Cobham that through all the lockdown and all the restrictions we'd never would have got product to site had we not been put in contact with him but that was going to like the director of operations to be put through the right channel. Nothing to do with nutrition, you know, coaching staff, anything like that, who you might think are the automatic kind of go-tos. So sometimes it can, I guess it can be an advantage to not know the way things are traditionally done around here. Cause you can, you can, <laughs> yeah, you can use that to your benefit, I guess. Yeah. Really sorry, but we don't know this. So. <laughs> well, look, um, we've covered a, a re- I had some notes of some some areas I wanted to cover, and I think we've we've zipped around everything from sales, distribution, marketing, and brands, your own development. We looked at financials and business planning and culture, and um, I guess the only area um, we haven't asked about is, is the pace of growth. How do you manage the pace of growth in terms of? you know, trying to keep the tiles on the space rocket as it's, as it's going up and, and trying to keep your team on the straight and narrow and then trying to balance that with obvious expectations of, uh, of senior management, which will be probably not knowing the space that you can be 10 years on in three years worth of, of, of calendar days. So how, how do you balance that and, and manage that expectation level and manage the pace of growth at a level that feels right? Yeah, it, it's definitely been a learning for us. Um, and I think when when we started, there was an almost an assumption if, you know, if we just tip a huge amount of money into this marketing bucket, it will generate X end. And yeah, you're nodding. You know that that just doesn't happen. You know, we you can't spend ahead of that brand awareness. It, you, you're just absolutely wasting money. So it was 
almost a bit of an education process and, and that's what to be on something like Amazon is hugely helpful because you as you say you get that immediate feedback and you can find that level of what's an appropriate spend and how you can grow that incrementally so that yeah you have a reasonable return on investment it's not where you would be as a mature brand but it's it's something that looks positive it's helpful and you can see it go to the next stage and, and the next stage because um, yeah I don't think the the starting from absolute scratch with a brand new FMCG offering was was really understood as to what that meant or what it looked like um, in, in terms of growth so yeah I mean gosh in the initial plans there was all sorts of yeah it's the UK at this point and then it's the US launch only six months down the line and we'll be in Europe and we'll have all in these different languages and yeah it's um and obviously you know the sort of COVID status hasn't helped any of that but it, it wouldn't be the right thing to do either it would have just been a hugely costly exercise and um yeah spread resource too thin and everything else with it so yeah absolutely right i'm reading um or just finished uh shoemaker the story of the growth of bolton so bolton bolton growth of reebok in bolton um out to become a global brand and the number of fast growth missteps on that journey just by doing things by the author's now admission you know nine to to 18 months early was is significant and painful um well listen um to sum up then this very wide-ranging chat i don't envy you i've got to say um <laughs> we, we ask all our guests to sum up their main message or their main th- advice they would give um to our listeners in 10 words or less I did have to have a little practice at this one because me getting in 10 words or less, I thought it was going to be a bit of a worry. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought for this one, I'd give you a give you a bit of a heads up in advance because it is not easy when we're looking at a podcast that's deliberately diverse in a specific type of business. So um, go on then. My line I got to, um, and probably the bit that we probably come back to in different ways was that um, never fear reaching outside of your comfort zone. That's fantastic. I have to do my number check by counting on my hands, you see. I, I think you got seven there. One, two, yeah, seven, yeah. Very, very good. To, yeah. Okay, well, that's, um, <laughs> that's, that's going to be way up in the charts in the, the answers we've had through the course of this year. So, so <laughs> how, how, can, um, how can people get hold of you? They want to get hold of you and how do they reach the product? Um, yeah, we've got the bluefuel.com website. Um, yeah, Instagram is pretty busy on there these days. Um, yeah, individually, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn and things. So, yeah, feel free. Any interested sports participants, clubs who are willing to yeah try products, have a go at some meal planning, etc. Very, very open. Very good. Well, listen, thanks ever so much for taking time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, Matt. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, take care. The Playbook podcast is published by SportsPro and is part of a wider series delivering agenda-free, pragmatic advice on how to navigate your organisation through change. To explore the library and find out about the Playbook Lab's residential executive training programme, head to sportspromedia.com slash playbook.